minute, for a minute on the law and its purpose. The law and its purpose. Uh, give me Romans chapter 7, verse. Is that Romans chapter 7? Okay. Uh, verse 12. Okay, let's start from, oh, wow. Let's start from verse 9. You know what, I'm sorry. Let's start from verse 7, I'm sorry. (laughs) Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the law, or rather, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me and it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy. And the commandment holy and just and good. So I just want us to address the law and its purpose. We just read that passage. And clearly we see in verse 12 that the law is holy. The commandment is holy, just and good. Just so we understand. The problem is not really the law. The problem is us. Apart from Christ. So, what purpose does the law serve? Does, does the law serve the law and its purpose? Let's let's look at that. Um, <clears throat> the subject of the law and its relationship to the believer today is one that is complex and needs to be clearly explained. Because we keep on talking about we are not under the law, we're not under the law, we are under grace. So, what is what does that mean? What's the implication? And if the law is not good for us, why did God give it? What purpose was it for? So, this is not in your notes, but let me give you four important purposes of the law. Four important purposes of the law. Number one, the law was given to reveal our sinful state. The law was given to reveal our sinful state. We just read in Romans chapter 7 where Paul said, let's read it again, Romans 7, 7. Romans 7, 7, verse 7. What shall we say? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. In other words, he said he would not have known, leave it up there, leave that up there, he would not have known that he has missed the mark except the law told him so. 
So if I'm driving on the street on Brazilton, and I do not see the speed limit that says clearly 40 miles an hour, and I'm going at 60, well, because I didn't see the speed limit, I do not know I'm breaking the law. But once I see that speed limit, it immediately brings my attention that I'm actually exceeding the permitted speed limit for this zone. So the law, in that sense, reveals our sin. So Paul said, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness. So it narrows one particular area for him that the law helped him to see. He said, I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So right there, Paul gives us a little, uh, it allows us a little insight to what happened in his life. Perhaps he was covetous, he wants to have more degrees than, than Gamaliel uh, and all the things. So he said, I would not have known that thing is wrong, except I saw the law, until I saw the law where it says, that shall not covet. So one of the important reasons for the law is revealed sins. That's why God, the Bible says in another passage, I think Romans uh, 3, 19, uh, let me see. Romans chapter 3, 19, let me check it out. Yeah, Romans 3, 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You see, God is a holy God. He has standards. And so the law reveals to us the standards of God, the standards of God's righteousness. And so, unless there was law, I would not have known. I can be saying to you, oh, I'm a great, I'm a great man, I'm a generous person. Um, this and that, and as long as there's nothing to compare with, as long as there's no standard, everything goes. But immediately a standard comes and says, this is my standard. Now I cannot just boast on how good I am. I have to now make a comparison between me and what a standard is. That's what the law is done. Before the law came, God saw how the world was increasingly becoming evil and wicked. And so in order to stem that flow of wickedness, he brought forth the law. And once the law came, everybody can say, people can just say, oh, wait a minute now, I can, I can judge my behavior, my standard, based on this gold standard. So God, through his law, gave us what we can call a gold standard. So the first thing the law does, it reveals sins. Amen? Amen? The second thing it does, it inflames sin. Not only does it uh, reveal it, it's also, also inflame it. Now, let me just give a quote here. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher, he once said, a stick is crooked, but you do not notice how crooked it is until you place a straight rule by the side of it. It's thick. It's crooked. Ah, but you don't know how crooked it is. But when you place that crooked stick next to a straight ruler, ah, 
you see clearly that this stick is really, really crooked. That's what the Lord does for us. You and I can hide, we can talk, we can act, we can do all kinds of things. Immediately the law comes into play. You are now able to measure, in fact, how righteous you think you are on the basis of the law. Now, God has a purpose for that. I'm going to review that in a minute. So, the number one thing, it reveals sins. Number two, it inflames sin. It inflames it. Uh, we see this in Romans chapter 7, verse 8. You see, once I know I have a sin problem, say maybe it's covetousness, maybe it's, uh, I don't know. Maybe, okay, let's use the common one, the big one, adultery. Let's use something that's, that's, that we consider as big. If a man or a woman has a problem with adultery, and they say, man, I'm gonna, uh, this is really bad. I mean, I need to deal with this. So he comes up with all kinds of rules and things he must do to safeguard himself or herself. I'm not going to be alone with a woman. I'm not going to be alone with a man. On and on and on and on and on. We, 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 we create something. In creating that thing, what are we trying to do? We're trying to, we're trying to solve the problem. First of all, law reveals sin, which, which means I did not know I was sinning, but now I do. So now that I know I'm sinning, I'm going to fix it. So we come up with all kinds of things to help us fix it. How long does it last? How long? So maybe you do it for two days, a week, a month, you're back to your own vomit. Because the very thing you're trying to fix becomes inflamed to show you the futility of your own effort. Yeah. So Paul says in Romans 7 verse 8, it's about sin, taking opportunity by the commandment. What did he do? Produced in me all manner of evil desire. So it went from covetousness to what? It's now multiplied. It's inflamed. So it's no longer dealing with covetousness, verse 7, any longer. Now it's producing in him all manner of evil desire. Do you see the multiplication? How did it happen? Sin, taking opportunity by the commandment. That's law. It inflames sin. Okay? For apart from the law, sin was dead. In other words, the, the thing, it was lying dormant. I didn't even know it was there. I didn't even know it was in me. But once the law was given, wow! All kinds of things begin to happen. Okay, let me give you a good example. A good, a, a good one. A very good one. So, you have a little boy, a toddler in your house, two years old, three years old. He's playing with a couple of toys, minding his own business. Papa or mama comes and says, oh, Johnny, I'm about, I'm about to go to the store. These toys over here, don't touch it. Keep on playing with your toy over here. The toys have been there all along. But now he just brought his attention to some toys. And he has his own toys that he's playing with. The moment you leave the door, where do you think he's going to go? Yeah. The law you just gave him just inflamed sin in him. Guys, Adam and Eve in the garden is a classic example. They were doing fine. Until God said, Adam, of all the trees in the garden, this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. My, what you do? You can eat everything but this one. 
The moment God said it, they said, there's no problem. We'll comply. And that's exactly what they went for. To show you that the commandment does one thing. There's nothing, again, it's holy, it's just, it's good. Absolutely, because the commandment represents who God is. It's good. But God is needing to show me and you because we will never know we need Jesus until we know that we are futile in our own efforts. As long as you think and fix yourself, do yourself, you will never call for help. So number one, it reveals sin. Number two, it inflames sin. And number three, it brings forth or ministers death. Again, Romans chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. He says, I found that every, no, I'm sorry, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. We saw that again, we saw that also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. Through the commandment, put me to death. Now, you must understand this. God did not give the law to help us overcome sin. No. No, 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 no. Rather, the law is meant to help sin overcome you. Let, let me say that again. God did not give the law to help me and you overcome sin. Rather, he gave the law so, that it, so through the law, sin can overcome you. That's why as a believer born in the new covenant, you don't want to go there. You can never master the law. The law masters you. And the law allows sin to overcome you. How does that happen? How does it minister death? Okay. So, so you have something that's going on. In, so maybe, maybe you're an alcoholic. Or you womanizer. Or whatever it is. Whatever the vice is. Every time you fall into that trap, you feel bad. You feel ashamed. You feel guilty. You make a new resolution. I will not drink more than two bottles any longer. I will not look at a woman badly. All kinds of resolutions, you make them up. And while you are making it, you, look, you, you feel good about it. But in the short while, you find out you cannot do what you just said. So what happens? You become like Adam. You feel guilty. You feel ashamed. And condemnation sets in. And when that happens, it's a vicious circle. It brings death. You get discouraged. That's why many people are not able to, walk, to, to keep on working with God. They just get tired and say, you know what, it's not for me. I think, I think this last month, we have two pastors that quit. No, they didn't quit. They renounced their faith. A pastor of a mega church who has written books on marriages. I can't remember the guy's name. Do you remember his name? Harris? Josh, Harris? I never read his book, but it's very popular. I didn't, I didn't realize how big he is. He just, he, rena- he didn't quit the church. He renounced the faith. And apologized to everybody that's bought his book. Yeah. I'm talking about the last two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote, his, he wrote several bestsellers. Several bestsellers. I, I wish I had the thing up to pull up and, and show you. Huh? 
Josh Harris? That's his name. Yeah, Josh Harris. That's his name. And then and just today, uh, a, a minister of songs from um, a song just did the same thing. Yeah. So, so, so what, what pushes a man or woman of God to that point? Because you set standards for yourself and you cannot live up to it. And after you keep on banging your head against the wall, after, after, you just say, forget it, it's not worth it. It's not working. Yeah. It's unfortunate because the law was intended to show you and I, yes, you cannot keep this thing. No, it's not, it's not for you to, because you can never become righteous through the law. That's not the issue. So number one, it reveals sin. Number two, it inflames sin. Number three, ministers dead. Number four is where God has taken all of us. To reveal, to lead us to Christ. The law <laughs> was given to lead us to Christ. Galatians chapter 4. No, chapter 3. Galatians 3.24. Yeah. Oh, I cannot tell you how many times I, I went to the altar to get born again. I can't tell you how many times. Weep, cry, go to the altar. Oh, God, help me, save me. Nothing happened. I make resolutions. I'd say, no, I'm going to do this. No, no, within three days, I'm back to my old self. Yeah. The law was given to lead us to Christ. Okay. Therefore, the law was our tutor. You see that? To bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. So God gave the law as an addendum. He gave the law. To say to me and you, listen, you miss it so many times because you, I want you to see that you cannot do this on your own. It's not possible. I didn't set up the law so you can do it. I set up the law to reveal. The, the law is like a mirror. That's a, better, that's a good example. It reveals what's going on in you. And so God is saying, listen, I'm giving this law so that in that revelation of what, what you really are, you can say, I need help. And once you say, I need help, I'm right there to help you. To pick you up and save you. So Paul describes the law as a tutor. What does a tutor do? It teaches you. It guides you. And in this case, a tutor to lead us to Christ. And once we get to Christ, we have no more need of that law. This is the huge relationship. The law brings us to a place of we are tired. I keep on doing the same old, same old. I cannot succeed in doing this thing. There has to be a better way. And God said, yes, there's a better way. Yes, there's a better way. The law is not the way, but there's a better way. And so the law leads you to a point of frustration where you finally surrender and say, ah, I can't do this anymore. Help! You say, yes, I'm glad you asked. That we might be justified by faith. The law brings you to Christ, but from Christ on, you are justified by faith. Do you get it? Four things, purpose of the law. Number one, to reveal sin, like a mirror. Number two, after it's revealed the sin, bring you a place to it inflames or increases sin. It increases it. Number three, it ministers death. Over and over and over, you are just hitting your head against the wall, making no progress. No, I mean on and on and on and on. And lastly, to lead us to Christ. So, folks, if I know what I know today, I will not, I will have handled some situations a little differently. 
Years ago, we had a guy here who, how do I say this now? He had an affair with a, with a uh, he's a married man, but had an affair with a young lady in the church. And uh, we, we took him through some disciplinary, disciplinary action to help, help him. Uh, but unfortunately, if, if I know what I know now, I would not have taken his certain measures, the steps I took. Because those steps, at the end of the day, just push the, it, it, just, it just inflames the sin. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't help it. Because all the steps we took were all law. There was no grace in it. There was no compassion in it. It's all law. The Bible says in Romans, uh, not Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 2, First, it tells us that there's therefore now no condemnation to them who are Christ Jesus. Then it says, the spirit of the law of Christ has set me free from the power of the law of sin and death. Notice, notice the sequence. It is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that displaces the spirit of sin and death. He did not say I should be doing something about the spirit of sin and death. Rather, my focus should be the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Ah. I don't know if, if do you understand what I just said, Doc? So rather than focusing on trying to solve the sin problem, I should be focusing on receiving the life of God. Because the life of God is what eliminates the sin problem. Did you see that? Oh my gosh. Yay. Okay, let, let me put this way. Luke chapter 15. Let's go back to the parable, the, the, the parable of When the guy was away in that far country among the swines, you remember the story? How did he leave? How, how, how was that solution? How was that situation resolved? Was it resolved because he sat in a foreign country and begin to wipe the, the pigs and take a shower for the pigs and say, I'm going to clean myself while I'm in there? The Bible said he arose and went and began to go to his father. Watch this. So this is the foreign country where the pigs are. Nasty, filthy, where sin was taking place. Right? But his father said, what well, they were marrying is. How did he solve his problem? He got up from here and began to walk towards the father. As he walked towards his father, what happened to what, he, what, what was on him? He's left behind. Did you guys, did you guys understand what I, just, what, what, what I just did? When he pursued his father, automatically left behind the filth. As he pursued his father, the filth automatically, like butter, melted off of him. So what I'm saying to you and I is, rather than being preoccupied in sin management, we should be preoccupied in righteousness consciousness. I should be reminding myself while I'm in this mess, bank, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And therefore, there's a new life befitting your righteousness than what's happening. You are better than what you are doing. You call upon the, 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 the greatness of God that's inside of you. It's already there. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's there. The moment you get born again, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You don't have to do anything to get that. 
So rather than focusing, oh my God, the law makes you and I become sin focused. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. We, are, we, we camp in the outer court where sin is the domi- dominant factor. Whereas, you and I belong in the most holy place, in the throne of grace. So what do we do? We spend 15 minutes confessing sins, the one you remember, the one you don't remember, the one that happened in 1950. Listen, I wrote a book on that. So we spend all this time confessing sins because we've been told that unless we are washed and we are cleansed from these sins, we cannot proceed to God's presence. That's what I was taught, and that's what I taught. But I just showed us this morning how we have access to the throne. Through who? Through the blood of Jesus, not through my own goodness. <laughs> the only thing that gives me and you access is the blood and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not how good I am. That doesn't count for Jack. So the law reveals sin. It increases sin. It ministers death. But finally, and thank God, it leads us to Christ. That's the reason God gave it to begin with. So that the Jews will recognize, hey, listen, all the laws you are following, all the things you are doing. Nobody, you know what's amazing? Even throughout the Old Testament, nobody was granted righteousness or favor with God as a result of the law. But I can show you man, woman, after man and woman who receive favor and blessing from God as a result of believing. Ah. How about Rahab, the harlot? Look at her name. The Bible called her Rahab, the harlot. Very, so we know her trade. She wasn't a doctor like Doc, nor a pharmacist. Rahab, the harlot. And yet when God destroyed Jericho, she was saved. Not because of any sacrifice she brought, but because she believed on the God of Israel. Folks, God does not change. I am the Lord, and I change not. He does not change. For even in the Old Testament, while he was giving them the law, he also found people people, uh, righteous by their believing, not by their sacrifices. Yeah. How about Ruth the Mobite? What sacrifice did she give? How in the heck does Ruth, a Mobite, foreigner, end up with Boaz? When Naomi tried to discourage her, said, Go back. Go back like your, your friend. Go back, like Opa. Go back to your own people. Say, your God be my God. The place you die, I die. Where you lodge, I lodge. I mean, this woman, powerful confession. Where did you hear that from? And by the time she preached a good sermon to Naomi, Naomi said, okay, come on. 
and she just came on and walked straight into her destiny and married Boaz. So I'm saying to you, even though God gave the law, all along, the law was an addendum. You know what? An, addendum, an afterthought. Never the plan. Afterthought. Okay, let's read it. Galatians 3.19. Galatians 3.19. Galatians 3.19. See what God says about it. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? Look at what the Bible says. It was added. Okay, wait a minute. Let's just take a pause right there. See, I like this. When I'm reading this scripture, I, I, I like to do it slowly. It was added. Don't just read it so fast. So, so I'm asking myself, it was, if it was added, it means it was, it was not there before. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added, which means it was not there before. It was not the plan, but we added it. Why? Because of transgressions. Like I told you, people were just doing all kinds of crazy things. Things were happening. God said, wait a minute, if I don't give these guys some kind of uh, guidance, they're going to kill, they'll destroy themselves. So the law became like a river bank. You know how bank, rivers have banks? Oh, yeah, that's what we call banks. What's in a river? Water. Without river banks, the water will spread all over the place and destroy life. Boundaries, I like that better. Boundaries. So, but boundaries on the river direct the flow of the water in the river so that instead of destroying life, it maintains life. So that's what the law is doing. It's doing. God said, well, if I don't give them something, this guy's going to grow wild. It won't save them, but at least it will act as a deterrent. So he said, the law was added because of transgressions. Ah, look at another word. Till. Till. That word till is a time factor word. Which means this law is not a perpetual thing. It will expire. So I'm going to give the law until how, how till, God? How? How till? When is till? Till the seed, capital S, should come to whom the promise was made. And once the seed has come, what do you need it for again? You don't need it any longer. It's expired. Ah, there's a dog here. There's a pharmacist here. Okay, pharmacist. If I go to the store and buy Tylenol that's, that expires in 1952, <laughs> <laughs> what will happen to me? <laughs> I'm in trouble. Why? It's an expired drug. Something that was good while it was valid. But once it became expired, something that was good will now destroy you. It will not help you any longer. Huh? It becomes a poison. Why are we returning to something that's now poison? That's the, that's the thing. 
What purpose then does the law serve? It was added. And anything that was added can be, can be subtracted. Because of transgressions. Till, until the seed should come. To whom the promise was made. When was the promise made? Remember I told you earlier this afternoon? Genesis 15. Abraham, God made a promise. Has the seed come yet? Can you guys answer the question? Has the seed come? Of course the seed has come. Of course the seed has come. So for you and I as a believer, this thing, it expired. 2,000 years ago. Wow. That's how far it has expired. <laughs> I mean, if a drug has expired for 2,000 years, can I still eat it? Drink it? And yet, week after week after week after week, we are feeding people poison expired medicine. Expired medication. On recall. I like that. <laughs> I like that. It's supposed to be on recall. And that's what we are still using. Insist on the shelf. That's what's happening. So we need to understand Romans 10 4. Give me Romans 10 4. <laughs> Look at Romans 10 4. In case Galatians 3 19 was too hard to, to discern. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, I don't want, you to, I don't, I don't want us to miss the, 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 the relationship of, of, of what we have and this issue of believing. We've seen it how many times today? Over and over and over and over. This issue of believing. Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. Whether you are an apostle, a junior bishop, junior senior, it doesn't matter. If you believe, Christ is the end of the law. End of story. End of story. End of story. Any questions on this? Because, yes. It seems like God makes things so simple that a child can understand, but we make it so complicated. All we have to say is, you must believe. Simple. Finish. Why couldn't we do this? <laughs> 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 like, what is it? I guarantee a child knows. It's this simple. You are right. You got it right. We have to complicate it. You complicate it. All through the New Testament, the key word is believe. Finish. Finish. I don't know what is. I, I don't know. If, you know. 
there's much material here. I don't know if I should just keep on going or just let you guys breathe. <laughs> Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For me, when I saw Galatians 3.19, that's, when, that, that's what did it for me completely. Just to think that God gave a covenant in Genesis 15 and he came back 430 years later when he saw how men were living and added the law, a mirror, so to speak, to help us see ourselves, to help us see how we're doing, to help us measure how far off from the mark we are. We are all like crooked sticks, but we don't know how crooked we are until we saw a straight ruler. And they say, wow, we're really crooked. And then finally he says, you know what? This law is going to be for a period of time until my son can come who will fulfill the law. And once you believe in him, I give you credit as having done the law. That's exactly what it is. We are not perfect, but he is. So God sees you and I now through the perfection of his son. If you are in his son. When the Bible says in John 15 that if you abide in him and he abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So really the word abide in here, the implication is you believe in him. That's what, I, that's what that means. You are abiding once you believe. That's, that's, that's the, it's so simple, it's crazy. It really is. But that's the only thing that's required in the new, new covenant. Believe. Believe. Ah. Okay. If you guys have no question on that, let's, let's, let me just start to press on here. It's so much material to cover, if we ever cover it. Now, I'm not under the law to think I have to cover all of this. I hope you guys understand. <laughs> yeah, you want to bring love back? <laughs> yeah. So here, what we're trying to clear up here is the complex, uh, complexity of the relationship between the, the believer and, uh, and, and as it relates to the law. There's a great, cause of, a, great, a great confusion today concerning the place of the Mosaic law in the New Testament in the life of, of the believer. Uh, so I'm on that AC, C now on page 30. One of the profound emphasis of the New Testament, especially the epistles of Paul, is that Christians are no longer under the rule of Mosaic law. This truth is stated in no uncertain terms and various ways. Uh, I mean, all the scriptures are there for you. But in spite of this, there have always been those who insist that the Mosaic law, at least the Ten Commandments, are still in force for the Christians. There are churches that are still doing bazaar today. Yes. There are churches that are still doing harvest today. And it's a big deal. None of that is found in the New Testament. Now, defining the term, the law, let's define it. B. Under B, B-A. This is the summation of all that God revealed through Moses. 
a system of rules and ordinances given to Israel by which they earned the favor and blessings of God if they obeyed or the displeasure of God if they disobeyed. So today, the term law refers to anything you must do to merit favor or avoid condemnation. Anything that we must do today to merit favor or avoid condemnation is basically the law. Ten steps to this and three steps to that. Uh, five steps to this. Anytime anybody tells you some steps in order to get something from God, you are under the law. There's only one step to blessings. What's that one step? What, what do you think? Believe. That's it. That's it. The only step is the cross. You believe on that cross, what Jesus did on that cross, that's the end, end of story. Yeah. I mean, God has made it so clear. He said, it rains on the just and the unjust. How much clearer can that get? I mean, it rains on the just and the unjust. So how do we explain the unjust getting blessed? Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. So Mosaic law, you know what that is? Uh, Do I need to cover that? No, I don't. No, I don't think so. Okay, let's let me move on there. Let's go to application. Application of the law. D, on page 31. Although the law was given primarily to Israel, it confined all under sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every person in the whole world of every time and every phrase is under the universal condemnatory function of the law. The law makes it clear that everyone is a prisoner of sin in order that it may be absolutely clear that the salvation promised by God can be received only by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. Galatians 3. But it's clear has come out Okay. That the promise by faith in Christ might be given to those who believe. Give me verse 23. Let me see what that says. Hmm, that's not the one I'm looking for. Um, oh, okay. Give me the one above. Give me verse uh, 11. 3.11. Look at that. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. If anybody is telling you that by, by the law they can be justified, Paul just told you it's not true. The just shall live by faith. End of story. No one is justified by the law. So just understand that. Unless you can fulfill all 613, you cannot be justified by the law. Verse 12. Yet, aha, this is what I was telling you about, about tithing. Yet the law is not what? Uh-uh. Let's read it one more time. Maybe, maybe we, should, we should write, a song. They'll ask, write us a song on this one. <laughs> the law is not of faith. Ah, let me throw another scripture. 
whatsoever is not of faith is what? Okay. That being the case, is tithing of faith or of, of what? Let, let, let me back off. Don't, don't let me put you guys in. <laughs> the law is not of faith. There is no faith in seeing that the speed limit is 60 miles an hour. What faith is that? The sign is clear. It's put in front of me. Speed limit, 60 miles an hour. No faith. See it, read it, comply. No faith involved. 10% of your income is tithe. There's no faith. It's no faith. 10%, no faith. It's an obligation. This is 10%. It's demanded of you. It's an obligation. The law is not of faith. And you just help me with the scripture. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, I'm not asking you to go to church and dismantle anything. No, 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 seriously, on a serious note. We're a family here, we're talking as a family. Now, before I said what I said to this congregation, it took me years. No, seriously, seriously. So I'm not pushing you to go and say or do something that you are not convinced of yet. You have, the Bible says in Romans, let every man be fully persuaded. I studied this thing for one year before I taught it. Because I cannot teach something and they ask me a question and I'm stammering. So please, don't go and teach this until you fully get to a place of conviction and persuasion and you, are, and, and you yourself are convinced. Don't do it. As a father, I tell you that, don't do that. However, I'm just speaking the truth to you. You understand what I'm saying? The Lord has no faith in it. No. If you don't take my word, Paul just said it. And Paul told you everything he's telling you, Jesus told him. Am I correct? Yes. <laughs> Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He said, everything I'm preaching, the gospel I'm preaching to you, I received by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, let me defend the tithe for a second. Let me just play the angel's advocate. Like, my, like one famous pharmacist said. <laughs> when I used to preach tithe, even after I uh, received the gospel of grace, I taught it for a while. And I said the tithe was still valid because Abraham did it not under the law. That is true. Abraham tithed and he was not under the law. So that was my defense for faith until God dismantled that defense. Because not only did Abraham tithe when he was not under the law, he also sacrificed. He also offered sacrifice in Genesis. So if I'm going to say that because Abraham tithed while he was not under the law, he also offered sacrifice while he was not under the law. So why is he not sacrificing now? That's the problem. <laughs> That's why I love, I love my, 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 my serious, renowned ph 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 pharmacist. 
We are picking and choosing. If Abraham carried a ram to Mount Moriah to offer and build an altar for God, eh? and it was not under the law, and you and I are no longer carrying a ram to the, to the altar, so what's our excuse? How can we accept one and not accept the other? Where is the consistency? <laughs> Doctor, please help me now. Why is it so quiet? <laughs> no, but seriously, Chief, you see, what, you see what I'm saying? That was my argument back then. I said, tithing, is, tithing is, has to be valid. Because Abraham did it not under the law. And it's true. But he also sacrificed not under the law. And we all agree that sacrificing is no longer valid. So why is one valid and the other one not? Yeah. Now, please, let me give you that question again. Don't say it until you are ready. Seriously. No, on a very serious note. I don't want you to create any problems for yourself. I had a whole year to study it, pray it, ponder it, meditate it, and then I got comfortable, and then I could defend it boldly. Yeah. But it's important for you to know that part of the challenge with the law is not of faith. That's the, a major challenge. Because now, under the dispensation of grace, the new covenant, we are saved by grace through faith. And the just shall live by faith. So for me, the challenge for me now, oh my gosh, okay. You know what, since I went on this tithing tirade, can, 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 I, can I just show you the scripture that's helping me on that now? Can you give him 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2? This, this is what I'm, this one I, I now use for the grace teaching. And I want to just show it to you. So on the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside. Storing up as it may prosper, that there will be no connection where you come. There's another translation. Hmm? Let me see the, K, the KJV itself. That's KJV. Let him lay as God has prospered him. Okay, this is good. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. That there may be no guidance when I come. Okay, first of all, if we just if we go back to what we said at the beginning, the issue of this, the issue of, uh, of, of, of the gospel of grace. The issue, huh? Read that, let me see, let me see. Okay, that's, also, that's very good. That's very good. Let, let, let me go to the baseline and then I'll come back and deal with this. The baseline addresses the fact that freely I've received something from God because I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So freely, God has given us the free gift of salvation. We read that earlier, that forgiveness is a gift. If we use 
Abraham's thinking, the thinking that encouraged him to give God a tithe, if we use that pattern, what's, what's Abraham doing? Because God gave him a plunder. God delivered him from a battle that he understood he could not have won on his own. Out of the plunder, he now gave a tenth. In other words, grace says, should you and I, I couldn't save myself. I can't fix myself. I can't do anything for myself. And this God has done all of this for me. My response to you is, Father, I just, I, listen, I, 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 not, not only do I belong to you completely, everything I own also belongs to you. So whereas tithe says 10 belongs to God, grace says 100% belongs to God. You, you, you know where we Listen, the truth is we shortchange ourselves and our congregation by talking about tenths. It's not 10 that belongs to God now, under grace. All! Yeah, 100%. So in this new dispensation, the question is not, am I going to give God 10%? The question is, God, how much will I keep? Oh, my God. You, you know we talked about the Holy Spirit earlier. How the Holy Spirit is now the one that dispenses and talks to us and leads us and guides us. So the issue is now, God, I have 100%. Holy Spirit, how much of this should I keep for myself? So the Holy Ghost is not just when you need a house. No, it's not just when I'm sick. No, it's not when I want to get married. When I, no, the Holy Ghost, I've, uh, this is my income for this week. How much this week you want me to keep for myself? That's the question. And every week is going to be different. Because we are no longer living under the law, we are living under grace, where it is by faith, not by sight. We are robbing not only God, we are robbing the church. Because we put a limit and cap what people must do based on the law that was fixed 4,000 years ago that has expired. So it's not a matter look at what happens to us. I earn a thousand dollars or two thousand, and I give God hundred dollars, and I think I've done something. I'm pat myself on the back. Ah, bank, bank you, I need a thousand dollars. God, you are lucky. God, you are very lucky. I'm going to give you hundred dollars out of a thousand. You are really, really lucky. God, go kill a chicken. I'm you are lucky. He gives you a thousand dollars, and you give him hundred. And you say, I've fulfilled the law, I've given 10%, and, and, and you're shouting, you're going, oh, I've done very well today. What? Did God give us 10% of himself? He gave his best. The only one he had, he gave. He gave 100%. We should change ourselves, the kingdom, and everybody else. Because we cap it and limit it at 10%. And that's why people are not increasing. Because there's no faith there. There's no faith there. 
But when I have a thousand, I said, God, how much of this should I keep? And he says, bank this time, keep just hundred dollars. Trust me with the 900. Man, you just place a demand on heaven. Oh my God. You just place a demand on heaven. My God. Angels are looking at us and say, oh my God. Finally, we find someone who understands what the kingdom is all about. So the next week, you have a thousand again. Holy Spirit, how much do you want me to keep? You may say, don't give anything this time. Keep it all to yourself. Because it's not, it's not a formula. I mean, that's why we are not growing. That's why our faith is not in that point where we can, we can really do exploits. So one time he says, give 90%. Other time he says, give, give 5%. Other time he says, don't give at all this time. Just worship me through your lips. Sing a, a new song unto me. Every week is different. But we've reduced God to a formula. 10%. That's what the bright people in Nigeria, that's what they call it, all these contractors. You want to get a contract, you give 10% to the, to the minister. That's what they get. That's a kickback. That's, thank you very much. That's a kickback. In New York, in Abuja, in uh, Israel, that's a kickback. God is not a contractor. He's not looking for our kickbacks. He wants me and you to be a man and woman of faith. For the just shall live by faith. Now, I caution you, only teach it when you get a conviction. I keep on saying that to you because I don't want you to open a Pandora worm box. Don't call me and say, ah, oh, pastor, this is what I did today. I can't help. Only God can help you. This, but, this is bad. If we preach it this way, it will help the church better. Correct. If we preach it with prayer by faith, yes. it will help the church better. And they are liberated. Yes. Okay. Uh, the law is you are now that you are under the grace. Yes. Grace, because you want to express how much you are appreciated. Gratitude. So 10% will be you will be ashamed of yourself. Correct. That you are giving this to your God. Who have done this much for you? 10% is the obligation, 100% is the appreciation. Yes. Am I giving out of obligation or am I giving out of appreciation? That's it. Obligation says 10%. Appreciation says, let me tell you what to do. Now, there's a scripture that I want to show you, and, and, I, th- and I, I know I've shared with the, key, uh, with the leaders earlier. In, it's in Leviticus chapter. Is this chapter 6? To buttress what Paul is saying when he says, you give as the Lord has prospered you. You know, Paul was a, a law, a, 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 a master of the law. So let me find it. I think it's Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 5. Uh, this is... Good. Leviticus chapter 2. I'm going to say this and I'm, I'm going to go home. 
You're going to go home. I'm going to let, so let, 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 go home and let God deal with all of you guys, man. <laughs> I need to shut up. Leviticus chapter 2. Let's read it from verse 1. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. And he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. Okay? So what will the offering be? Fine flour. Verse 4. Let's jump. If you bring an offering of grain baked in an oven, it shall be off. It shall be on leaven cakes, fine flour, mixed with oil, blah 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 blah. Verse 5. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be of fine flour. Verse 7. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour. Now, in this Leviticus chapter 2, the subject is the same. It's a grain offering. Grain offering means the result of your labor. And God gives them four options in which to give that offering. You are an Israelite. You don't have a baked oven. You don't have a baked pan. You don't have a covered pan. God says, bring me just ordinary flour. I will accept it. That's option number one. That's, that's verse two, I believe it is. But you're an Israelite, and you have a baked oven. Then God says, I expect for you to take that next step to grind the flour and bake it in an oven. Bring it, I'll accept it. You don't have an oven, but you have a pan. Do the flour, make it, and fry it in a pan, bring it to me, I will accept it. Last but not the least, you have a covered dish or covered, I can't remember the, the, what the terminology they used. So you don't have an oven, you don't have a covered, but you, but you have a frying pan. Bake it in a frying pan and bring it. So four options. Flour, oven, frying pan, baking pan. What's God saying? You give me according to possession in your household. Now, watch this now. Who gave you the ability to buy an oven? God. So he knows you have an oven at home. Now, so you don't have an oven, but who gave you the ability to have a frying pan? God. I know you have a frying pan at home. So you, have, you don't have an oven, you don't have a fine pan, but you have what? A, a griddle. Who gave it? God. He knows what he has given you. You that don't have jack, only flour, he knows that's all, that's all you have. Bring it, I accept it. But you that have an oven, baking oven, and you bring just flour, God is saying, you are not serious. I prospered you with the oven, but you just bring just ordinary flour. That means you don't value this relationship. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. I see people. Go, if you go out right now, you see Mercedes Benz parked, Lexus is parked, Renault is parked, uh, Ford is parked, uh, Porsche, all kinds of cars parked. 
But when we come to give an offering, people put one one dollar in the offering pile. And God said, really? In your Mercedes Benz, all I want is one dollar? In your Lexus, the, the sum total of my worth, after having given you a Lexus, is 50 cents? You can deceive your pastor, but I know what I place in your hand. So it says, according as God has prospered you, so let him give. So it's not equal giving because it's not equal blessing. We have different levels of blessings in the room. So the seriousness of our relationship will be, will be, will be, will be, will be manifest in how we honor God based on what he's given us. That's why, now you can understand, when Jesus saw the widow give a mite in the treasury, he said to them, she has given money on all of you. Because she gave everything she had. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Is it clear? <laughs> yeah. Praise God. Any questions? Now, let me tell you our experience here. I'm, I'm going to tell you what happened here when we did it. So I talked for about six weeks. The last week, I dropped a tithe bomb. What I call a tithe, <laughs> tithe bomb one day. But then I, I, it was a short message, about 30 minutes, and I said, questions. Because I knew I was saying something that, is, that runs contrary to common thinking. So I made it a short message and I gave room for questions on that same day. They asked a lot of questions, blah, 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 blah. And then the transition began. The first two weeks, the offerings went south. <laughs> you know what that means? <laughs> Nose dive. I mean, like a rocket. Zoo! <laughs> because human beings are very funny. All they heard is no tithing. <laughs> Even when I came back and said, wait, 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 wait. Listen, that's, I mean, I tried to explain it. That's, that's all they heard. So for many of them, giving went on holiday. For about a month. But we had to stay on it, keep on encouraging them, encouraging them, encouraging them, and gradually, people began to get it. To the point now where we removed tithe from the envelopes. It took a few, it took, Revelation is not here. It took a while before they removed, but finally they removed it. They wanted to remove it the first way. I said, no, 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 don't remove it yet. I know I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with human beings. <laughs> I said, keep it on the envelope for a while. And we kept on saying it, kept on saying it, kept on saying it, kept on saying it. And finally, They've made that transition, and I'm not sure how it's... What is it like on the envelope now? Do you guys remember? Grace giving? Yeah. Okay, all right. I, I, <laughs> so so, they remember, so, so that's where we are. And so now, they've come back up. But with this kind of teaching, you have to constantly remind people. Because remember, people taste the new, and they say the old is better. But this, this is the challenge. This is the reason I'm doing these teachings. We cannot pour the new wine in old wineskin. It's not possible. 
You lose the new wine skin and you lose this. You lose the new wine and your skin. You lose both. So if you're going to make any adjustments, you have to have the correct or the corresponding structure to contain it. You cannot leave grace while you're wearing law uniform. It's not possible. A little law plus a lot of grace equals law. That's an equation. That's your, that's your mathematical equation tonight. Just a tiny little bitty, 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 bitty law. Plus, mucho, mucho, plenty, grand grace <laughs> is still law. So if you're going to get the benefit of the gospel's grace, you've got to make the whole transition. That's why a little yeast eggs. Ah! Oh my gosh. Thank you. You hear what I said? A little yeast leavens the whole lamp. That's the problem. And that's why we will never fully realize the, the grace manifest unless we make the overhaul. That's why I felt compelled to throw the tithe thing right there and put it, out, put it on the line. And I just said to God, you know what? If people don't give, if they don't believe it, and the thing shut down, it's on you, not me. And I believe that. Th that's the truth. If this whole thing falls apart, I'm walking away. I'm walking out. It's not on me. Did I die for the gospel? No. I'm not, not, not going to carry a burden that God has not called me to carry. Absolutely not. But I can tell you that God has been very faithful. He's been, he's been incredibly faithful. Incredibly. But the thing is, you will never get wet as long as you're standing in the swimming pool. You need to jump in the pool. Amen? Amen. Good. I'm done. Remind him about tomorrow.